Our reading this morning is from Ephesians 3. We've been going through the book of Ephesians. Uh, We are now, uh, for the first time, entering into chapter 3. So I'm going to read the first 13 verses of this part of God's Word. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles... Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Thanks be to God. John Oliver is the host of HBO's satirical news show, Last Week Tonight. He was uh, interviewed... By Terry, I think I have a slide of, of John. There he is. Maybe you're familiar with him. Uh, last week, uh, tonight is the name of the show, but he was interviewed by Terry Gross on Fresh Air, and Gross asked him if he uh, went to church uh, a lot growing up. And Oliver responded that he did until he was about 11 or 12 years old, and then he just didn't believe in it. Uh, Oliver said there were too many bad things happening to uh himself or or people that he knew, and so he just didn't care. And this is his quote. He said, I just didn't feel like there were any answers I liked coming from the church I went to. There were kids at school who died, and my uncle dying was really devastating to me, and I just didn't feel like when you asked like a hard question and you were kind of brushed off with, well, you know, it's God's will. That kind of knocked me out. If that's true, then I want nothing to do with this. But you just can't say that it's God's will for these kids at school dying for no reason. That's just not a good enough answer. You've got to wrestle with it a bit more than that. And I can understand uh, John Oliver's perspective. I think simply shrugging your shoulders at suffering and giving simplistic Sunday school answers just doesn't cut it. Sometimes we don't know. Sometimes we're confronted with suffering. We're, we're confronted with difficult situations. Why did this person get cancer? Why did this person lose their house? Why did this person go through this particularly difficult experience? And sometimes we don't have a good answer. 
And that's true whether you're a person of faith or whether you're a person who has no faith. Even if you don't believe in God, you still find it hard and difficult to make sense of these types of experiences in your life and being able to move forward. And even though that's true, sometimes we don't have a satisfying answer. There are times when a person does experience hard things, does experience suffering, and they do have a clear meaning and purpose in that suffering. It does make sense to them, and that makes all the difference. Now, uh, David and Jessica have good news. I think I'll show you this slide. Uh, Their little girl came into the world a few days ago, so we're proud to announce David is an assistant pastor if you're visiting with us this morning. A baby Arden came into the world, uh, and this precious little girl and Jessica are doing great. I think they're at home actually today. And one of the things I'm always reminded of when celebrating the birth of a new child is that pain and suffering sometimes leads to something beautiful. And just look at this little girl, and and you would agree with me. And I've always said, you know, I think God knew that women were the ones that had to go through labor and give birth because if if it was up to men, the human race would have ended a long time ago. (laughs) And I believe something beautiful can come out of suffering, and that's what the Apostle Paul's writing about here in Ephesians 3, these first 13 verses. Paul's writing from prison. And he knows that the Christians in Ephesus were concerned and worried about what Paul was experiencing. In verse 13, the end of the passage that we read, Paul asks them not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul's worried about their concern for him. And if we were to go back to the beginning of this chapter, uh, Paul actually was about to pray for these Christians in Ephesus, he starts off the passage saying, for this reason. Now, he's pointing back to what he talked about in chapter 1 and 2, what we covered the, uh, weeks over the past few weeks. He's explaining that they're in Christ, that they are now the dwelling place of God. We talked about this last week. His heart is moved to pray for them. And as Paul's about to enter into this prayer, it's almost as if he gets distracted once he remembers who he's praying for. He says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then Paul goes through this entire um, kind of distracted commentary on why they shouldn't be discouraged. And it isn't until verse 14, which we didn't read, but we'll cover next week, that Paul says, for this reason, again, he goes back, for this reason, he says, I bow my knees before the Father. And Paul goes into the famous prayer that we'll talk about next Sunday. But it's, it's almost like in this section, Paul has ADD. He's, he gets distracted. Uh, this idea of his imprisonment, Uh, these Christians who are concerned for him, Paul wants to explain why they shouldn't be discouraged. He's arguing that his suffering is leading to something beautiful. So what does he say here? If we go to verse 2, 
Paul continues, he says, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Paul understood that God had given him the responsibility of implementing his plan. That's what a steward does. A steward implements the plan of the master, the one who owns the household, the one who is in charge. He gives his steward the responsibility of implementing that plan. And Paul understood that Paul had called him to a specific purpose. And he explains that purpose in verses 7 through 9. Remember, notice what he says. He says, of this gospel, I was made a minister. And here the word for minister, Paul actually uses the word servant. It's the same word we use for deacon, for, uh, for being a servant. According to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. God had a plan and it's Paul's job. He's a steward. He's a servant to bring this plan to light. That's his calling. Now, it's interesting that Paul viewed his calling as an expression of God's grace. Now, usually when we talk of God's grace, we've talked of God's undeserved favor, and we usually talk of it in terms of salvation, that God saves us by grace. It's nothing that we do. It's a gift of God. We've talked about that previously as we looked in Ephesians. But notice how Paul talks about God's grace here. Paul, Paul viewed his calling, his job, his ministry as a sign of God's grace to him. In other words, he viewed his role as a steward, as a privilege. Now imagine with me if you and I were to view our ministry in this way. Because I think very often we fall into the trap of viewing our ministry as something we do for God exclusively. For example, you volunteer with the kids' ministry. You probably view that as something you're doing for God. You're giving this to God. If you help with set up a breakdown to make church happen, this is something you're doing for God. You host a community group, this is something you're doing for God. These are ways you're giving yourself for God. But notice what Paul, Paul viewed it as a privilege. It was God's gift to him that he had the privilege of filling, fulfilling this plan that God had given him. It was his privilege his opportunity, it was God's grace to him. Now remember, Paul was writing from prison. He's enduring great suffering. He viewed all of this as God's grace to him. And I want to challenge you to begin to think of these opportunities, these opportunities for you to serve, to use your gifts as God's grace to you. It's a privilege. Paul didn't view himself as being worthy of this privilege either. He sees the impact, the purpose, the significance of what he's doing. And I wonder, friends, do you long for that? Do you long for that meaning? Do you long for that purpose? I think that's what we all want. I think we all want to believe that what we are doing matters, that our lives matter. And the gift of God's grace 
It's for that reality, to, to, that light to turn on in your heart, for you to see God's calling on your life, for you to realize that what you do matters, that when you get up out of bed each day, that God has a purpose, a ministry for you to fulfill, a calling. And that you can make an impact, that you can make a difference. And oftentimes, that difference that you can make is hard. It involves suffering. Victor Frankl, the Holocaust survivor, he wrote a powerful book called Man's Search for Meaning. He put it this way, that the more one forgets himself by giving himself to a cause to serve or another person to love, the more human he is. And I think this is a real struggle for many people today, is that lack of meaning, that lack of calling. Some of you, you know, we have a lot of young families here. You have your kids, and, and you're in that part of life. This is the part of life that I'm in. It's all about the kids. And it's very easy, I think, when you're in that part of life to have that sense, well, that's my calling, to raise my kids. Now, what happens when those kids leave, leave when they grow up? What's your calling then? Maybe you're in college, and you're like, that's my calling, I'm I'm in college, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Well, what about when you graduate? You see, there's a greater calling, there's a greater opportunity that God has for you. What is it? Do you know what that is? Do you know what that grace God has given you? you? Do you have a sense of it? I think that's what comes out very clearly in this passage. Paul knew. Paul had a firm grip that even though he was in prison he said don't be discouraged because though I am in prison I know my calling I know what God has for me and it is his grace it is his grace Paul is not discouraged that he's in prison Paul would be discouraged if no one was willing to go to prison for this calling to the Gentiles that God had given him. Paul here says he was a prisoner of Christ. Very interesting. He's writing from prison. He says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Paul doesn't say, I'm a prisoner of Caesar. I'm a prisoner of the religious leaders who who manipulated the system to put me here. Paul understood that ultimately, though he was waiting for his trial to before Caesar, Paul understood that he was there because he was a prisoner of Christ. I saw an article this week. um, The title was this. South Koreans locked themselves up to escape prison of daily life. And underneath the little tagline, it said, uh, for most people, prison is a place to escape from. For South Koreans in need of a break from the demands of everyday life, a day or two in a faux jail is the escape. So here's the idea. This is not a joke. This is not the onion. This, was, this is real. Uh, inmates, so to speak, inmates pay $90 to spend 24 hours in solitary confinement away from all phones, clocks, and people. And clients get to wear a blue prison uniform. They get a yoga mat, a tea set, a pen, a notebook. They sleep on the floor. There's a small toilet inside the room. There's no mirror. Uh, The co-founder of this mock prison was inspired by her husband. He was a prosecutor who often put in 100-hour work weeks. And he said he'd rather go into solitary confinement for a week and take a rest and feel better. 
And uh, what this co-founder says, she says this, after a stay in the prison, people say, this is not a prison, the real prison is where we return to. (laughs) And isn't that true? That so often life, life becomes a prison. The obligations, the things that we're living for, whether it's your career or maybe the things you're trying to achieve, maybe it's your, your bank account, whatever it is, I think what I want you to see this morning is all of us are a prisoner of something. You cannot escape it. It's, it maybe you're a prisoner of your agenda for your life, your, your, your goals for what you want to achieve, and you're willing to sacrifice yourself for those things. Maybe you're willing to sacrifice your family for those things. Maybe you're willing to sacrifice your health. You're a prisoner. We can't escape that. And what Paul shows us is that the one true freedom that we find is when we become a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He frees us. When you find that calling that God has given you, you're willing to sacrifice. You're willing to give it up because you know God has brought you to that place. Paul is a slave of Christ, a prisoner of Christ, a servant of the gospel. And that's the grace God has given him. And that's the grace that he offers you as well. Now, what exactly was this ministry to the Gentiles? Well, Paul uses this word mystery. Uh, And he uses it quite often, I think six times in in the letter of Ephesians, that his ministry was to make known this mystery. He says in verse four, he talks about his insight into the mystery of Christ. Now, this Advent season... The season where we're preparing for Christmas, there's lots of mysteries that we as Christians celebrate uh, as we reflect on the story of Jesus coming into the world. One of the mysteries that we as Christians uh, celebrate is the mystery of the virgin birth. The idea that Jesus, uh, that Mary, um, you know, that, that Jesus came from the Holy Spirit through Mary Uh, We also celebrate the mystery of the incarnation, which is God in human flesh, God coming to earth in the person of Jesus. These are mysteries that are difficult for us to understand. We're not able to um, explain it uh, clearly sometimes. It, It can be a mystery. But here for Paul's audience in the first century in the Mediterranean world, there were, especially in Ephesus, what were called mystery religions. And these mystery religions were often uh, secret societies that only certain people uh, knew about. It's sort of like um, if you were in a fraternity or a sorority, you know, you go through an initiation. These these mystery religions, you go through an initiation. And once you get into the fraternity or sorority, apparently, I've been told, you learn all sorts of secret handshakes and and, and secrets. I mean, Olivia knows things. She can't even tell me. Like, it's been 21 years or uh, more than that since she was in a sorority, and she still can't tell me the secret handshakes they did. Um, that's not what Paul's talking about here. It's not this special, secret, mysterious thing that only the privileged few get access to. Paul's talking about an open truth, a revealed secret. Paul's talking about something that's to be announced publicly for all to know. The Christian mystery is not 
information only for the privileged elite. And what is this mystery? Well, Paul says in verse 6 that the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The Gentiles are fellow heirs. Now, you might say, now wait a minute, why was that a mystery? Because if you look in the Old Testament, there's a lot in the Old Testament about the Gentiles coming to God, becoming part of God's people. I mean, Abraham, God told Abraham, you're going to be a blessing to all the nations. Uh, Isaiah, other prophets talked about the knowledge of the Lord covering the whole earth. Um, The psalmist longed for the day when Gentiles would come to Jerusalem, to Mount Zion, and worship the one true living God. There's a lot in the Old Testament about all the nations coming to faith in God. So why would Paul say this is a mystery? Wasn't this clearly laid out in the Old Testament? I mean, any good Spiritual, faithful, believing Jew at the time of Jesus would have thought that those great prophetic passages in the Old Testament uh, would come true, that the Gentiles would come to faith. However, they would have assumed that they would have come to faith by becoming good Jews, that they would have been circumcised, that they would have obeyed the ceremonial laws, that they would have obeyed the Mosaic covenant, that they would have fulfilled those laws in the Old Testament, that David would come again in the Messiah and establish the throne, his throne and his kingdom forever and ever. Never in a million years would a good Jew have believed that the Messiah would come and die on a cross. They would have believed the Messiah would have come on a war horse and driven the Romans out. But this Messiah, Jesus, his way was so mysterious because he died. And it was through his suffering, something beautiful became a reality. And Paul tells us that mystery was fulfilled in Christ and the Gentiles now no longer needed to become Jews to be a part of God's people. It wasn't that the Jewish people were so special, so chosen on a superior level. Paul was so passionate about this good news that the Gentiles were included and enfolded into the people of God and they had just as much privilege and right as any Jew. And this was was what Paul was passionate about, what he was willing to suffer for. I think an image to help you understand Paul's perspective is uh, to think back to the civil rights movement in the 60s. On January 31st in 1961, students from Friendship Junior College protested the segregation uh, uh, at lunch counters, uh, specifically at a diner, uh, named McCory's in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Now they walked in this diner, they took seats at the counter, they ordered hamburgers, soft drinks, coffee, and the students were refused service and they were ordered to leave and they didn't. Instead, they were arrested. And the next day, uh, 10 
were convicted of trespassing and disturbing the peace, and they were sentenced to either serve 30 days hard labor or to pay a fine of $100. Now, one man of the 10 paid the fine, but the remaining nine, uh, eight of whom were students at Friendship College, chose to take the sentence of 30 days hard labor at the York County Prison Farm. They became known as the Friendship Nine. Now here is a photo of them uh, just a few years ago. They were actually uh, pardoned for this offense. And this is a beautiful picture of the sacrifice. This story is a beautiful picture of the sacrifice they made. And when they were imprisoned, Martin Luther King Jr. wrote, to these nine, saying this, you have inspired all of us by such demonstrative courage and faith. It is good to know that there still remains a creative minority who would rather lose in a cause that will ultimately win than to win in a cause that will ultimately lose. You see, these men knew there was a purpose in their suffering. They knew their suffering was for a greater cause, and that fueled their actions, fueled their determination. They weren't trying to avoid pain. They weren't trying to avoid suffering. And through their sacrifice, African-American citizens for generations are enjoying equal access, equal privileges, equal rights. And that's what Paul is saying here in our passage. His suffering was for the Gentiles to feel and know the same access to God. He was not content For them to view themselves as inferior. Paul understood the gospel message that it's not what you do. It's not what you know. It's not where you're from. It is a gift of God. And it's a gift he gives to all. He offers to you this morning. The gift of the gospel. And for Paul, he understood the value of that message. And it it fueled him to endure the suffering, and for him to tell these Ephesian Christians, don't be concerned about me because I have this privilege to serve in this way. He valued the gospel enough to go to prison for it. And so I want to ask you this morning, as we, as we try to apply that in, into our day today, what do you value? What do you love enough that you're willing to endure that suffering? You're willing to go to these lengths. What is your calling? Where is God calling you? And as the power of the gospel so fueled you, has his grace so grabbed your heart that you're willing to take those steps and you're willing to sacrifice for something greater, for God's kingdom. Who were you a prisoner of? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this this passage where we see Paul's passion, we see his courage, we see his boldness, and we know it's because he met you, the living God. And Jesus, I pray for each person here that they would know the power of the gospel for them for their hearts to be transformed, for their eyes to be opened. And Lord Jesus, as we enter into this time this morning, 
of preparing our hearts for the Lord's Supper, I ask that you would challenge us. And Lord, as we think about the ways that we avoid hardship, we think about the ways that we've set our lives up to protect ourselves from being pushed into risky situations. Jesus, I pray that the gospel would be that fuel we need, that your love for us would be the thing that that transforms us. And Lord, would you use us? Would you use us in powerful ways to be your presence in the world, to be the light you called us to be in the darkness? Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen.